Good morning. Will you join me for the prayer of illumination? Eternal God, in the reading of the scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditations of our hearts, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. The scripture lesson is from Mark 10, verses 13 through 16. People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them, and the disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So we're going to spend some time today, not related to a series, uh, not uh, pushing an agenda, um, not doing anything other than remembering the three-year vision that we committed to uh, back in August. Uh, that we talked about during stewardship, uh, that we remember together um, about what we're going to be about for the next three years. Now, before we begin that, I just want to say real quickly, um, it had been brought to my attention that the Sunday before Christmas, there was uh, some bobbles and bubbles in the early service. Um, I, I don't know if you know this about me, but... Um, uh, I'm the easiest person to do a performance evaluation on, right? All you have to do is say, hey, Peter, we're going to evaluate your performance, and immediately I can tell you the top 10 things that I've done wrong, right? Are, are, are you that way? Maybe not. So uh, maybe you didn't notice, but I noticed. I noticed I couldn't find the candy for the children's moments. Did you notice? <laughs> yeah. All the kids go, uh-huh, right? And did you notice we forgot the Apostles' Creed and the Lord's Prayer? It was written in the bulletin, but oops, somehow it didn't happen. Um, so I, I would never want you to think that the way I treat the early service is practice for the late service. Okay? I, I'm, I'm being serious. I know we're laughing, but this is as much an opportunity to be ushered into the presence of God as the late service is. So if you were some of those folks that were a little frustrated at that service, know that your pastor was frustrated too, enough to say I'm sorry. So it's really popular among pastors when we talk about vision to quote a particular passage. It comes out of the Old Testament. It says, where there is no vision, the people, where there is no vision, the people perish. I mean, I can't tell you how many buildings have been built on that scripture passage. I can't tell you how many um, new staff members, how many uh, new church plants, where there is no vision, the people perish. I mean, it sounds great, right? It's just the right length. You can put it on a banner, right? It's just, uh, you know, plain as day. Where there is no vision, the people perish, but if you spend a little bit of time in the scriptures and look at the Hebrew behind vision and perish, you get a completely different piece. 
You know, there are some times when uh, Hebrew and Greek are far more complex than our English. Just take, for example, the word love. In Greek, there are four words for love. In English, there is one, right? Uh, if we look at uh, the things that we love, we love our spouse, we love our children, we love the Texans. We love ice cream. But in Greek, there's a word for uh, friendship love, phileos. There's a word um, for the love of God, agape. Uh, There's um, a word for the romantic love between husband and wife, eros. So you can get the idea that the two, in translating one to the other, not so one-to-one. So we look at the idea of where there is no vision, the people perish. We find that in the Old Testament, in that particular scripture passage, that vision has less to do with the lack of eyesight upon reaching the age of 40, but rather it's the ability to see the world within the biblical worldview, right? This is Psalm chapter 1. Right? A tree planted by streams of water will uh, you know, grow into the intended thing, as opposed to those who sit on the seat of scoffers will be evil and drawn away. Right? This isn't about follow the unique new idea of your latest pastor, where there is no vision, the people will perish, but rather see the world as God sees it, and you will live abundantly. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But let's be true that when we don't see the world as God sees it, um, we get burned out. A great definition of burnout is working hard, but not knowing what the goal is. Well, I had perfect attendance. I came every Sunday. I took notes during the sermon. I'm not sure why. (laughs) Best definition of burnout is working hard, but not knowing what the goal is. Another idea is to uh, think about the world beyond these walls. You come to this place because you love it, you love God, and you love what happens here. But a guest walks in the door and says, huh, what are they about? How will my life be different? How will I see this biblical worldview and have abundant life? So a vision is helpful, not because we're going to build a new building. A vision is helpful, not because I've got the corner on the truth. A vision is helpful, not because I'm the end-all, be-all of where we're going. In fact, hmm, I'm just a a sheepdog for the shepherd, right? Have you heard that phrase before? Really, the vision isn't given by me. I'm just the sheepdog, and we're the sheep together. God's the shepherd. So God's given a vision of a world that is different than the one that we live in, and we're invited to work hard towards that outcome. And I want to give you a wake-up call. We talked during October about how the, uh, the culture is different in the world that we live in today, uh, that the largest growing segment of religious affiliation in America are the nuns. No, not the ones with the habits that fly and, you know, are Catholic. Flying nuns. You're really not going to laugh. Okay. Thank you, James. Your check's in the mail. 
but rather the largest growing segment of America religious affiliation are people who say, eh, it doesn't really matter to me. There's a better way to spend Sunday morning. There's a better way to give my money to a nonprofit. There's a better way. I'm just not excited about that way. Since October, there's been another um, study that's come out that in addition to the nuns, there are now the duns, D-O-N-E-S. These are not people who have no idea about why it's important to be here or why it's important to have the vision that God has for a new tomorrow, but rather these are the ones that know all that stuff. They've been to confirmation, they've been baptized, they've led in the church, and they've said, you know, I'm just done. I can read my Bible at home. I can have a home church experience. I'm just done. I'm done with the politics, with the drama. I'm done with all the stuff. I'm done with the Mickey Mouse pieces. I'm done. There's a phrase in the recovery community. I'm not uh, in recovery. I probably am and don't know it, but um, there's a phrase in the recovery community that when you've walked away from your addiction, when you've worked the 12 steps, when you think you've got it down, and maybe it wouldn't be bad to step back in the casino or step back in the liquor store or head back to those places where no good could come, you're reminded that while you've been in the house of recovery, your addiction has been doing push-ups. It's been watching for you. It's been getting ready. It's been working at the gym, and it'll come back twice as hard as when you left it the first time. I think that's how culture works with us. It's not just good enough to have atheists who don't like us. It's not just good enough to have nuns who are kind of meh, but now we've got duns. We've got folks who perfectly well-formed and have walked away. When we look at the graphs of what the future looks like, it is very likely that we might be remembered uh, in a hundred years, much like the Shakers are remembered uh, from a hundred years ago. Everybody loves Shaker furniture, right? Go to North Carolina, get that good wood furniture, put it in your house, look very cool, appropriately hipster, it's great. Don't forget that Shakers were a religious uh, community. They were called shakers, not because they made good furniture, but they were called shakers because they would be so consumed with the Holy Spirit that they would shake. And Quakers, they weren't just good at oatmeal. (laughs) They would quake. Isn't it interesting that they lived life in such a way that the Holy Spirit empowered them to shake and to quake, but yet we don't remember them for their faith. We remember them for their furniture and their oatmeal. What will Methodists be remembered for in 100 years? What will it look like for us? We'll be remembered for our uh, universities. Uh, We'll be remembered for our higher education. We'll be remembered for our uh, wonderful bureaucratic ability to create a new document every four years called the Book of Discipline. We'll be known for a lot of things, but will we be known for making a difference in our community? Uh, Recently went and saw um, the movie Interstellar good movie. Um, Interstellar is this wonderful story about uh, saving the world, right? Because that's what every good movie is about. And as long as things blow up and there's space and black holes, I'm in. But there's this interesting moment. You have like these three people who are far off in another galaxy and they're trying to find a new home for, uh, 
for the world, for humans to move to. And there's this discussion. Do you do things so that you can go back home and see your family, taking care of self, or do you do things sacrificially so that the whole world survives? Take a moment here. This is not that strange of an idea. We've been talking about sacrifice for a long time. Whether it's um, Interstellar or Saving Private Ryan, uh, whether it's um, Star Wars or Star Trek or who knows what, this idea of sacrificially giving of yourself in such a way, not that you gain, but that the whole human race gains, or your team, or your country, or your alien species, I don't know, right? This idea of deep sacrifice is something powerful to behold. What if I told you that the sacrifice that needed to happen was pretty simple? It was a matter of organizing uh, our church in such a way that we remove the barriers between our children or other people's children. Remember that whole idea, not just about our house, but about God's house? And remove those barriers in such a way that everyone could come and see Jesus. Um, Pastor Kate, right? What if we made it so that the steps were something that no kid questioned whether they could come up? What if we made it so that the altar, the presence of God, was something that every kid claimed for their own? Studies say that the kind of faith that our children and our grandchildren will get is the kind of faith that they see us live out every day. So um, we've raised the bar. It's not just about doing your devotional, which I'm sure you're all doing. If you're not, there's a new upper room in the back. Be sure to pick one up. If they're all gone, you can go on the United Methodist Church's website and they'll email you the upper room every day, right? It's not just about starting your day with Jesus, but it's starting your day with Jesus so that your children and grandchildren can see that your day starts with Jesus. I used to think I was really cool. I'd get up at five in the morning. I'd do all my, uh, you know, uh, study and prayer. And then Grace would get up and I'd make breakfast and take her to school. And so what she thought was that my day was built on scrambled eggs. Which, you know, as long as you put cheese in them, it's great. But what she needed to know was that before I'd ever begin to start with scrambled eggs, I had to start with Jesus. I have to ground myself on something that is more powerful and more permanent than scrambled eggs. I need to know who I am in God's eyes. I need to know what the mission is that God's set me on. And I need to know how to keep that relationship alive and real. Because values are not taught, they're caught. If you question that, it's okay. Just look at my generation. We caught the values of MTV, right? No one had to teach us it. Now, young Johnny, sit down and watch MTV. Ah, it was everywhere. It's like the water that we swam in. And so we are an, an MTV generation. I still think it's hilarious that MTV, music, television, right? Go watch it today. No music. Reality TV. Blah. Where, you know, what is it? Um, uh, TV didn't kill the radio star. It was reality TV that did. Friends, when we begin thinking about what it might take to make a new tomorrow, it takes sacrifice. But not sacrifice of millions of dollars, not sacrifice of going to India to preach the gospel, not sacrifice of um, you know, quaking in the Holy Spirit, but rather the sacrifice of doing four basic things. 
One is to be able to tell people your personal powerful God story. Do you remember the moment when God became real to you? Can you tell somebody about it? The second thing is uh, be part of a Christian community that has high expectations that when the person who sits next to you is not there, go find them this week. If they were just playing hooky, invite them to come back. If they're wounded on the side of the road, take them to the hospital and pay for their bills. High expectation communities. The third thing is to have a sense of call that goes beyond the nine to five. Now, um, if you're interested in this idea of a call to something greater, come back next Sunday. We're gonna spend five Sundays on calling and uh, purpose. Uh, We're gonna look at spiritual gifts. Frank Andrews is gonna be in town and he's gonna talk to us some more about spiritual gifts. But are we called to be an engineer? Are we called to be a cog in the wheel? Are we called to uh, be a part of Rotary or Junior League or uh, to um, log into Facebook every day? I truly believe that we are called to something more. Uh, Paul, by profession, was a tent maker, but by vocation, he was an apostle of Jesus Christ. You don't have to be paid on the payroll of the church to be a part of making disciples. What is your calling? And the last thing, the the fourth thing, is to be fluent in the faith. Now, now that's kind of hard, right? When you think about being fluent in the faith, um, we are fluent in the Methodist church in anything that Adam Hamilton publishes, right? Some of you get that. We are fluent in anything that Joel Osteen puts on the screen. And I don't, I'm not arguing with Joel, right? I mean, if you want a really well put together presentation with that great smile and that skinny suit, watch him on TV. But if you want somebody who lives in your neighborhood, whose kids play with your kids, who lives life with you, then come and see me on Sunday mornings. See, Joel can tell you a really good put-together presentation, but together we'll get in the trenches, not only inspire other people, but change our own community and raise a generation of faith right here. Having a fluency of the faith. Uh, My dad told me when I was a kid that um, nobody got to heaven by way of someone else's coattails. Have you ever heard that? It's great that mom and dad loved Jesus, but eventually you gotta figure out how to love Jesus too. And it's the same for our kids and our grandkids. They can say, I confess the faith of my fathers, but until it is their faith, it is no one's faith for them. Um, One of the interesting things about um, Amy and I's life together is shortly after we got married, I got horribly sick. So sick, they had to uh, cut me open and rearrange some of the stuff inside. Thankfully, God gives you more stuff inside than you actually need, so they took some of it out. But it really impacted our first year of marriage. So much so that we went back to the travel agent and said, book us again for that honeymoon in Jamaica that we took before, identical, and we went. And now, there was a whole lot of hurdles to get over. Um, we went in uh, October of 2011. 
Any of you fly uh, October 2011? Um, 9-11 was just a difficult time. But we spent a week in Jamaica. And I remember looking at Amy as we were sitting on the beach listening to Bob Marley because it was the Independence Weekend for Jamaica. Woohoo! That was pretty cool. I didn't know every song you've ever heard has been done in reggae. <laughs> and I looked at Amy and I said, this. This is what I thought it would be like. And occasionally, over the course of our uh, relationship, there'll be these moments when we go this, this is what I thought it would be like. One of those moments was when we came and worshiped with you for the first time. I looked at Amy and I said this, this is what it's supposed to be like. And there've been moments when uh, Grace has done her dance recital, I've looked at, uh, at Amy and said this, this is what I thought it would be like. You see, there's a, a golden tomorrow. There is something else. Uh, there is not just work, 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 never knowing what the goal is, but rather, there is an opportunity to make a golden tomorrow. And it begins with understanding our scripture passage for today. Let the little children come to him, for such as this is the kingdom of heaven. You see, in Jesus' day, uh, children were extra workers or liabilities. They were property. But Jesus says, no, the kingdom of heaven is built on that. The kingdom of heaven is built on something that can't earn its way, can't justify its way, uh, can't be anything other than something that is a part of the community. And God says to us, no matter how good and smart you are, no matter uh, rich or poor you are, no matter how much you've done right or how much you've done wrong, you're a child of mine. And such as you is what the kingdom of heaven is built on. You see, raise a generation in faith doesn't mean go out and find experts, build a building, get deep in debt, and hope that in a hundred years we're still around. Raise a generation in faith means draw close to Jesus by devotion, fluency, call, purpose, and expectations. And do it as plain as day in front of our children and our grandchildren so that when we are long gone and dead, they will not only remember the faith of their fathers and their mothers, but it will have become their faith as they demonstrate it to their children and grandchildren. A little bit of sacrifice, not for our own family, not for our own house, but for God's house. Where there is no vision, the people perish. That doesn't mean figure out what your pastor thinks. It means live in God's worldview. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So the invitation, right? Chapelwood United Methodist Church exists to help ourselves and others take their next step in their faith journey with Christ. How many times have you heard me say that one? We're taking our next step, just not to go somewhere, but to raise a generation in faith. So maybe your next step is to uh, double down on a devotion. Maybe your next step is to get serious about learning tough things and being fluent in the faith. Maybe your next step is it's time for us to be high expectation community. Maybe your next step is to think about your calling, not just to be an engineer or a teacher, but how being an engineer or a teacher brings Jesus to other people's lives. Uh, Kate and LM and I are here to help you 
think about those next steps. And if you're really serious, come join us next Sunday and we'll start looking at gifts and passion and personality and needs of the world as God calls us to be more than just who we are. Um, let's see, our closing hymn is I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. You can find it on the screens. Um, David's going to come and lead us in that, and following we'll have our benediction. Grab a hand next to you for our closing benediction. You don't have to hold everybody's hand, but hold somebody's hand. Uh, let's pray. Uh, Almighty God, we give thanks that you sacrificed much to build a bridge to us. Now help us to see our lives as a chance to sacrifice so that others might know you as well. Send us out, not just to do the nine to five, but to raise a generation in faith in your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.